0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, November 4th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Road diets are aimed at narrowing streets to accommodate more bicycle and transit traffic. What are the effects, and why is the federal government looking at providing incentives to cities to narrow their roads? And what should we make of new data about a high level of pedestrian deaths in the last year? Cato's Randall O'Toole comments. road diets are plans to take uh, four-lane roads or six-lane roads, arterials, and reduce them by at least two lanes and turn those two lanes into bicycle lanes or possibly bus lanes. And the result is that there are fewer lanes of of, uh, traffic for general automobiles and trucks. And so there's more congestion. Uh, Traffic has to slow down. Oftentimes, the road diets are specifically designed to slow down traffic by making lanes narrower, and uh, supposedly that's to make the streets safer for bicyclists and pedestrians, although that hasn't worked. What it really is for is to try to discourage people from driving by making driving less competitive than it is uh, compared with transit and walking and bicycling today. If you're reducing the number of lanes uh, going both directions on a road, you would think that that would increase congestion. Absolutely. And if you talk to the advocates of road diets, a lot of them will admit that that's really their purpose. For example, the uh, CEO of the Los Angeles Metropolitan uh, Transit Agency says, it's too easy to drive in Los Angeles. We need to make it harder to drive to get people on transit. And the way to do that is to convert lanes of traffic in various arterials to exclusive bus lanes. So, you take away the lanes from the cars, you make it harder to drive, you make the buses faster because they have less congestion, and so uh, there'll be fewer people driving, he hopes. Now, so far, bus ridership is plummeting in Los Angeles, and it's not clear that giving buses a little bit of advantage will make a difference, but it is clear that it'll waste a lot of people's time. So, uh, where have we seen these? Well, we've seen them in New York, in Los Angeles, uh, in cities all over the country. There's a small town in Iowa called Waverly that, that's doing it, uh, about 10,000 people. Uh, more than 1,500 American cities are doing it. And uh, the Congress, uh, Portland Representative Earl Blumenauer, has introduced a bill in Congress to, uh, for the federal government to give incentives and mandates for cities to do it nationwide. The Department of Transportation uh, has just released some uh, data recently on pedestrian deaths, and uh, it has increased to its highest level since 1990. What accounts for that, in your view? Well, these numbers are curious because vehicle deaths are declining. Total vehicle fatalities have been declining for years. And yet, for the last couple of years, pedestrian deaths have been going up, and a, a lot of people think it's because of distracted driving, but the data don't show that. Uh, the data actually sh- indicate what are the factors in deaths and the number of distracted driving, or for that matter, distracted pedestrian deaths isn't increasing. The interesting thing is that on a lot of the deaths and, a, and most of the new increase in deaths is taking place at night, more pedestrians die between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., that's a three-hour period, then die between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m., that's a nine-hour period of daylight. So I think what's happening is that pedestrians are engaging in risky behavior. Most of these deaths are happening between intersections. They're not happening people crossing streets at intersections or having people jaywalking, essentially, at night, oftentimes with alcohol in the bloodstream of the pedestrians. So people are engaging in riskier behavior and my conclusion, you know, I don't want to blame the victims. You know, if people are going to drink alcohol, and, you know, we have to take that into account. But uh, forcing traffic to slow down during rush hour is not going to stop pedestrian deaths between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Maybe we need to have slower lower speed limits between midnight and 6 a.m. Maybe that would help uh, reduce some of these pedestrian deaths. But forcing people to slow down or increasing congestion at uh, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. doesn't seem like it's going to save that many lives. It's just going to waste a lot of people's time. You know, in cities like San Francisco uh, and I guess a a lot of area parts of California where housing costs are, are very high, people have to live a great distance from where they work. And uh, what would we expect to be the impact of narrowing roads uh, for those people? Well, they're going to face longer commutes, and uh, they're going to have other problems as well. One of the interesting problems with increasing uh, congestion as a solution to uh, pedestrian and, and cycling fatalities is that... Uh, you're going to end up not just delaying commuters, you're going to delay emergency service vehicles. It turns out Americans suffer about 10 times as many sudden cardiac arrests per year as we suffer vehicle fatalities. And if you have a sudden cardiac arrest and emergency service personnel reach you within four minutes, there's an excellent chance you'll survive. But if it takes five minutes or longer, you're probably not going to survive. So seconds count, and you do something to slow down traffic, you're going to be killing people. And studies have shown that for every pedestrian whose life you save by slowing down traffic, you're going to lose anywhere from 30 to 100 people uh, due to sudden cardiac arrest and delays to emergency service vehicles. And this doesn't even count the problems of people dying in fires because of delays to fire trucks, people dying from other medical problems. Uh, the, and the very problem with uh, evacuation routes, there was a city in California that had a, a major fire outside of its uh, borders in 2008, and they had to evacuate 9,000 people. And they had such problems with evacuations that a grand jury report uh, said that they needed to improve their evacuation routes. They had three two-lane roads and a four-lane road as evacuation routes. The county the city was in instead decided to turn the four-lane road into a two-lane road. It was a road diet, and they put uh, chicanes and concrete barriers and things like that to slow the traffic down on those two lanes. Then in 2017, another fire hit. It burned over the entire town and killed 86 people, and some of them died. Trying to evacuate, but they were stuck in traffic, and the fire caught up with them before their car could get them out of town. Now we have Los Angeles turning Venice Boulevard into a road diet. Venice Boulevard is considered a major uh, earthquake, fire, and tsunami evacuation route in Los Angeles, and yet they're reducing its capacity to move people out of town. And if if they have an earthquake or a tsunami, people may die because of that. So. Uh, these road diets are extremely short sighted. They're not taking into account emergency evacuation needs. They're not taking into account uh, emergency service uh, delivery. Uh, and they're not really even taking into account whether they're good for uh, saving pedestrian and and cyclist lives. The road diet in on Venice Boulevard, for example, resulted in an increase in car uh, uh, cycle accidents at intersections because they uh, protected the cyclists so much that the cars couldn't see them and they would turn into them and, and hit them. Randall O'Toole is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.